want to thank you for joining us. want to encourage you now to grab your Bibles and open them on or turn them to Mark chapter 16 as we're going to finish up our series in the Gospel of Mark this morning. And just want to remind you, if you have missed any of the uh, last 12 messages in Mark, you can catch them all, as well as any message there on iTunes for free. You just go to uh, iTunes and search Westlake Baptist Church there in podcast and be able to find them. But uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and put a, a neat little bow on uh, this Gospel of Mark. We've spent 12 weeks, including today, showing how Jesus is the servant king. And this morning, we're going to see how and why the servant sins. But let me ask this. How many of you remember the first job you ever had? All right. Do you remember the anxiety you had when they were first training you? And they made it look so easy, and you're going, please don't make me do this. I'm going to mess this up really badly. You know, and and during training, it wasn't that big of a deal because they were like right beside you. They were not going to let you mess it up that bad. But then you knew there was coming a day when they were taking those training wheels off, and you were going to do it. I don't know about you, but I never slept good that night, and the whole drive to work, my stomach was in knots because I'm like, I don't want to do this. You don't want me to do this. But the reality is I wasn't alone because the same people who had trained me trained me to do this job. And they, those same people were still right there. If I got into a jam, I could go, help, and they would be there to help me. But isn't it the exact same way for the child of God? Isn't it Jesus who trains us to do the work of ministry? And didn't Jesus promise that he was going to give us his Holy Spirit, to give us his presence, that there would never be a time where we were alone? So why we are afraid to simply do what God himself has already trained us to do? And why do we feel like it's all on us when it's actually His Holy Spirit who is going to do it in us and through us. See, the one big thing I want you to walk away with this morning is this, that we are called to follow Jesus' example and to spread the gospel. And when we do, He gives us a precious promise that He will be right there with us as we do it. But let's look at it in our text. Mark chapter 16. I'm going to begin in verse 14, and if you can, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter 16, verse 14 says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name uh, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. And confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And this is your word. It is not man's thoughts on you. 
And so, Father, let us not approach this time of study like we're reading any other book. But let us come humbly, understanding that you are God and that you have revealed exactly what we need when we need it. And so, Father, may your spirit be our teacher this morning. And would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is that we must follow Jesus' example. And we are to spread the gospel. This is the one thing that God has called us to do. Now, there are three truths about the disciples that also apply to you and I that we see in the text. The first one is this. The disciples were not perfect. The emphasis on these opening verses here is the disciples are mourning the death of Jesus rather than celebrating his resurrection. Now, we see here in the text that Jesus, it says, that he upbraided them. What does that mean? It means he rebuked them. Now, you may be thinking, man, that's kind of harsh. I mean, why would he rebuke them? After all, they saw him die. Of course, they're having trouble believing that he's come back to life. The reason Jesus rebukes them is twofold. You see, at least on three occasions, Jesus had told them that the Son of Man was going to be betrayed by sinners. He was going to be handed over, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. So Jesus is rebuking his disciples because they did not believe the word of God. But then if you look in the text, you see there in verse 14, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now, early in the morning on Resurrection Sunday, there were at least two women, probably three, who went to the tomb and noticed that it was empty. Then there were two men, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, who also encountered Jesus. And all of them went back to tell his disciples, we have seen Jesus. He's alive. And the 11 are still doubting. So Jesus is rebuking his disciples because not only did they not believe the word of God, but they didn't believe the witnesses of God either. And so he's saying you you still have a hard heart. Their faith, whatever faith they had, was still incomplete. The disciples remind me a lot of that man that we met back in Mark chapter 9. You know, the boy had the, the son who was possessed. And he took his son to the disciples and they couldn't help him so the man takes him to Jesus and the father says if you can do anything have compassion on us and Jesus says if for anything's possible to him that believes and the father with tears rolling down his face says I believe help my unbelief the father was saying I believe in you but my faith isn't what it should be and I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that could say, that's me. See, God has given us all a measure of faith. But the extent of our faith and how large our faith has grown is directly tied to how much we trust God and how much time we spend in His Word. I wonder if there's some ways that maybe we've heard God say and give promises, but we haven't quite believed them. You know, Christians always say, well, God is sovereign. That is, God is in control. But have you ever thought to yourself, well, if God's in control, then why is he letting all this happen? 
You know, we, we hear all the time, God is love, and that's, I mean, you see it all through Old and New Testament. But have you, have you ever wondered to yourself when you're going through something, maybe it's been a loss of a job or maybe it's uh, a cancer, you're going, you know, if God really loves me, why is he allowing me to go through this? Have you ever had that crisis of faith? That's where the disciples were. Should they have been further along than they were in their faith? Absolutely. But they weren't. Now this matters for a, a few reasons for us. You see, just because you have given your heart to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're going to have this perfect faith instantaneously. Uh, you're not going to be able to know all mysteries and know all truths as soon as you become a Christian. Because salvation is not the finish line, it's the starting line. It's the beginning of a lifelong process that God transforms our character and our lives to look like His. And it's a lifelong process. How do I know that? Well, Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident in this very thing, that He that has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, you and I will not have this perfect faith until we see the perfect one face to face. That it is going to be a process that you and I have to go through. And we're going to talk about how to walk through that process and some practical ways that we can grow in our faith here in just a little bit. But this matters for a reason. My guess is everybody that's in here has been hurt by a Christian or hurt by a church at some time. Fact of the matter, I'm looking out and, and I can just say this. There are people here that unfortunately I've hurt. But here's the thing. We've all been there. We've all suffered that hurt. We've all felt the anxious anger and anxiety and, and all of that. How do we deal with that? Stop expecting perfection from the imperfect. Allow your pain, all right, allow the hurt that you feel to point you to the perfect one, who is Christ. You see, our faith is not in a Christian. It's not in a church. Our faith is in Christ. He is who we look to. If at the end of my time as, as your pastor, all I have done is succeeded, and you looking more like me than the world may say I've succeeded, but God will say I'm a failure. Because the only way I can say to you, follow me, as the Apostle Paul did, as follow me as I follow Christ. He is the one that we seek. He is the one that we follow. I know it hurts. I know it's not fair. But the disciples aren't perfect. Fact of the matter, I, I, I gave kind of a rude awakening, I guess you would say, to the 830 crowd. So I know you guys are a little bit more awake, but I'm going to do it again. If you say that you have never hurt somebody, I'm looking you in the eye and calling you a prideful liar. Take care of it with God, not with me. You're not mad at me, you're mad at God. Because none of us are perfect. We hurt people, but we cannot allow our hurts to cause us to run from God. Our hurts need to bring us to God. To go, you know what? Man is going to let me down. Man is going to hurt me, but God, you never have. And so, God, I'm just going to come at your feet, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to worship you. 
because you're perfect and I'm not. Now, the other side of that coin is this. We've hurt people. Own it. Don't act like you didn't do it. Don't go, don't give the apology, non-apology. Well, yeah, I know I hurt you, but. No, 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 no buts. I hurt you. I was wrong. Seek forgiveness. Seek reconciliation, which is biblical. And then learn from it, grow from it, move on from it. Don't allow Satan to keep you in that place where you stay in your bitterness because bitterness will give place to anger, which will give place to wrath, will give place to you lashing out and hurting others and walking away from Christ. You cannot control how somebody treats you, but you can control how you respond. And you can remember, they're not perfect like I'm not perfect. But praise God that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That the grace of God is bigger than any of our sins. And so when we get hurt, we, point to, we, we run to Jesus. When we hurt somebody, we go to them, we confess it, we seek forgiveness, we seek reconciliation. Why? Because in that we're pointing them to Jesus. In everything we do, church, we must point people to Jesus. Or we must stop calling ourselves a church. That's black and white. We've got to remember that we are not perfect. So God uses the imperfect to tell of a perfect story. Number two in our text is this. The disciples were to follow Jesus' example. Jesus modeled the discipleship model that we ought to follow. Okay? What did he do? He called He taught them, he modeled it for them, he let them do it, then they talked about it, and then when he left, he had them carry it on. We'll summarize it this way, Jesus called them, then he did, and they watched, they did, and Jesus watched, and then they did. This is what we are to be as, as Christians. We are not to reinvent the wheel, reminded of what it says in Acts 4. Peter and John, they've been arrested because they've been preaching in the name of Jesus. And the religious leaders, in as stern of a tone as they could, don't you do that no more. Peter goes, whether it's right for us to obey you or God, you decide. For we cannot help but tell what we have seen and heard. Folks, we're not to reinvent the wheel. We are to simply tell what we have seen and what we have heard. Can you testify to what God has done in your heart and your life? Tell it, because that's what you've seen. Can you sit down and go, you know what, as I was reading Scripture, this is what I heard from God and this is what I understand. Then go share that with them. I look back at church in America over the last 20 years and I have to ask this question. For all the programs we have come up with, have we succeeded in evangelizing America? No. For all the programs, all the personalities, all the celebrity pastors that we have allowed to write books and create programs and we've tried to implement them, the reality is America is still lost. Three out of four people in North America don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, are you going to tell me 
that our programs are better than God's power? We're losing a generation, yet God with 12 uneducated outcasts in one day saved 3,000 people. How'd they do it? They relied on the power of God and the word of God. This is what we must return to. If we are to not only stop the decline of church attendance, but if we are to see revival in our time, we must first humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God as a church because judgment begins in the house of God, and then we must stand on the word of God and the gospel of God to reach those that don't belong to God. You do that. You do that. And what they said in Acts 17 verse 6 can again happen. You don't remember Acts 17, 6, that's okay. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Who were they? They were the disciples. They were staying with the man Jason. And Jason was kind of, you know, just letting them hang out at his house. And the, the leaders of the city were like, whoa, 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 uh-uh. These guys, they're turning the world upside down. you got to get them out of here. But the only way it's going to happen is if we humble ourselves, admit we're not perfect. If we trust the power of God and the word of God, we will see revival in our time. Now, you know, verse 16 gives us a great promise. Some are going to believe. Now, verse 16 also says that some are going to hear the message and they're not going to believe. And the reality is you and I, we don't know who is who. All right? We don't know who's going to believe and who's not. But our job is to put the gospel in front of them. You know, Mark 16 is one of five great commission passages. All right? Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, and Acts 1. Five great commission passages that were spoken by Jesus at various times. Now, the most notable one, the one that we know the most, is Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, that first word there, go, in the Greek is in the present imperative tense. What does that mean? Well, uh, H, Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. down at Jacksonville, Florida, sums it up this way. To be in the present imperative tense when he says go means this. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. Now what does that mean for you and I? When you go to work tomorrow, make disciples. When you go to the grocery store, make disciples. When you spend all Saturday at a ball field or a wrestling arena, make disciples. Wherever you go is your mission field. Make disciples. Of who? Jesus. How do I do that? Going implies evangelism, sharing the gospel, and then teaching. This is what we call discipleship. We evangelize and we teach. This is how we become a Christian and a church who are disciples who make disciples. By the way, there's only one thing God commissioned the church to do. It was not to build bigger buildings. It was not to create multi-purpose buildings. It was not to create programs or ministries. The only thing Jesus Christ commissioned us to do is to make 
disciples. There it is. Make disciples. How do I do that? By sharing the gospel and teaching them what he has taught us. This is how we grow in our faith. This is what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm convinced of this church. Our culture today is not anti-gospel. Because people are hurting. People are scared. This world is incredibly uncertain. Many of them have sacrificed by working 50 to 60 hours. They've got their spouse. They've got their 2.4 children. They've got the house with the little white picket fence. They're living the American dream, but they're going, is this all there is to life? Is this really all I'm supposed to do? Get up, go to work, kill myself for a job that would absolutely replace me if I called out one day, never see my family and give them everything they want but not have relationship? Is that really what this is? They're dying for something different. And we as the church, we've got it. It's called the gospel. It's called a relationship with Jesus. We can show them that there is more to life than this American dream. Fact of the matter, we can argue that the American dream is anti-gospel. We are not blessed to be hoarders. We are blessed to be a blessing. But now I'm jumping into next week's sermon series, so I'm going to leave that alone. All right, hold that thought for a week. But, but the bottom line is this. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. That's where joy is found. Now, you can be happy in getting a job. You can be happy in getting a promotion. You can be happy in getting a spouse. You can be happy having a child. You will not have joy in all those things for this reason. Joy comes from your identity and knowing no matter whether today's up here or today's down here blessed assurance Jesus is mine that's joy you know what I love my children God has blessed me with four incredible children and sometimes they act like their mother (laughs) probably should have used that at 830 not 11 when she's up there but I mean, sometimes they just make me want to pull out what little hair I got left. But they're a blessing from God, and I love them. But they can only bring me happiness. They can't give me joy. Because only Jesus gives us joy. Only Jesus anchors us in the fact that though I don't deserve it, God died in my place. And that when I surrendered to his grace through faith, he didn't just cover my sins. He washed them away. And he cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them anymore. And though I do nothing that deserves his love and joy, he still lavishes joy and love and grace on me. That's how you walk in joy. To know Devil, you can hit me with your best shot. 
and you can cause me to have the most miserable day in the world, but you cannot touch my soul because that belongs to Jesus Christ. By the way, you demonstrate that to the lost, I promise they're going to ask you, where did you get it and how can I have it? Because they're killing themselves finding what you and I supposedly possess. And here's the great promise that when we follow Jesus' example number three, the disciples were not alone. Now verses 14 to 18 occur on Resurrection Sunday morning. But verse 19 happens 40 days later. We know that because of Acts chapter 1. Jesus was walking and talking with his disciples 40 days after his resurrection. And so then it says, Then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. So verse 19 is 40 days after the resurrection. But notice verse 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Jesus didn't just ascend back into heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father and leave them alone. He gave us the promise, we read about it in the opening of service, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be in us and to work in us and to work through us. That we are not alone, that God is with us every step of the way. And what Jesus did for his disciples, church, he is doing for us. That literally there's no place we could go that God is not with us if we're his child. You know, so many people, we, we talk about evangelism, you know, sharing the gospel, and man, they get terrified. They're like, I don't want to mess it up. I want to take a lot of burden off of you right now, okay? If you share the true gospel, you can't mess it up because it's God who is speaking through you. How do I know that? Because earlier in the book of Mark, Jesus tells his disciples, when the day comes that they drag you into the synagogues before the chief rulers because of my name's sake. Don't give any thought to what you should say. For that very hour, the Holy Spirit himself will give you what to say. It's not you sharing the gospel. It's Jesus sharing it through you. That if you can wrap your mind around and explain that God created everything perfect, but sin messed it up, and that we're all sinners ever since Adam, and because of our sin, death came into this world. But God in his love sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And that thir on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And if you will no longer trust in yourself to be good enough to be saved, but you will rest entirely on what Jesus did for you, you'll be saved. Five truths. God created. Man sinned. Sin brings death. Jesus died and was raised again three days later. And that's by grace through faith that we are saved. If you can remember those five simple truths, you're sharing the gospel. And God is glorified and God will do it through you. You're not doing this alone. God has not left us as orphans. The rest of my, Matthew 28, verse 20 says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That we're not alone, and then we're not doing this alone. So now we come to my favorite question. So what? Why does this matter? 
Can I give you two simple ways? First one would be this. Be intentional in your growth. The first step in growing in your walk with God is this. You have to have a walk with God. If you've never come to the place where you have confessed that you are a sinner and accepted that Jesus died in your place and that he is the only way you can be saved, this is where you have to start. You can't go any further than that. You must come in humble trust and faith in Christ that he took your place on that cross. But from there, if I'm going to be intentional about the growth, see, God expects us to grow in our walk with God. But it's not automatic. If you never do anything, you're not going to grow. We have to intentionally pursue Jesus. Now, how do we do that? Well, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to give more control of the Holy Spirit of your life to Jesus. So I would ask this question. Is there anything in your life, any area of your life, that you haven't given complete control to God over? That's where, that's where we got to go. If I'm going to be intentional about my growth, I've got to give God not just my heart for salvation, but I've got to give him my life for sanctification. Let me give you three practical ways that you can do that. First, prioritize corporate worship. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, and do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Now you're going, well preacher, obviously I'm here. That's good. Okay, I appreciate it. But I also know how life is. I also know that sometimes Saturday night spills over into Sunday morning and you're tired. Or life has been really difficult with your spouse all week and you've been fighting like cats and dogs or your children are just driving you crazy and you go, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to church today. I also know it's possible though you're here today, especially for those of you who have children in sports. You know, the reality is they have practice on Sundays and they have games on Sundays now. We can lament this fact that we can talk about the quote-unquote good old days all we want, and it's not going to change the reality of what it is. But parents, we have to make a choice. And sometimes our children aren't going to like that choice. That's okay. We're the parent. They're not. We have to choose to prioritize Jesus over everything else. And I can hear in some of, the, uh, some of you parents' minds, okay, I can hear it right now. You're going, but listen, if my child is going to play college, they've got to be on this travel team. And travel teams, they play on the weekend. Can I tell you something real quick? Okay? My family and I, we, we somewhat live this because our boys uh, are involved in sports. And one of them wrestles somewhere in the state almost every Saturday. And I can state this with 100% accuracy. Not one time. Not one time have I ever seen a college scout at my 90-year-old's wrestling tournament. And I'm not looking for it to happen next week either. Listen, if God wants them to play a college sport, do you not think that he is a big enough, more powerful enough God to arrange that to happen? Do you think that you have to deny your faith so that you can get this? No. No. You don't. 
And I understand the pull. Please don't feel like I'm judging you or condemning you. I understand it. I know what it feels like, but I promise you this. Your child is one pitch away from that being gone. Everything they worked for years for. Everything that you sacrificed to get them there. One pitch. One MRI. One doctor's visit from everything being gone. I know it. But the faith that you can demonstrate to your children and you can instill in your children can carry them for a lifetime. It's a tough choice, mom. It's a tough choice, Dad. But it is a choice, I promise you, you will never regret. Because God will bless those who honor Him from a right heart. Prioritize corporate worship. Second thing would be prioritize Bible study and prayer every day. A report was just released this week. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, that 45% of people who go to Southern Baptist churches, 45% of them, read their Bible three times or more a week. Which means over half, 55% of SBC attenders open their Bible two times or fewer. 19% don't even open their Bible. Folks, If you want to grow, right here it is. Right here it is. This will do more to grow you than any program we can ever write. And we got some talented writers around here. Prioritize it. Then the third thing I would say is this. You need to have relationships where you're held accountable. Jesus preached to massive crowds. We know he, on one Sunday, or one day he preached to a crowd of 5,000 men. You add women and children, you're probably ten to 15,000. He preached to the big crowds. But then he called 12 men out, his disciples. All right, so the large crowd we're going to call our corporate worship. All right, the, the 12 disciples, we're going to call that our Sunday school small group. All right, he poured into the disciples more than he did to big crowds. What does this mean for you and I in our growth in Christ? We need to prioritize Sunday school and small group Bible studies. You're going to grow more in a Sunday school class than you will sitting here. I promise you, you need to still be here. All right, but you will grow more in a month of Sunday school small group Bible studies than a year of worship only. If you're not involved, please. Please let us know afterwards. We've got classes that meet at 945 all over this building. There are small group studies uh, that go on. We will absolutely introduce you to one of them. But then Jesus not only had his 12, but then he had his three. He had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And he spent more time with them. What this means for you and I is this. Gentlemen, you need two or three guys that every week you meet with and you study scripture with and you pray with 
and you allow them to hold you accountable for your life. Ladies, you need two or three ladies that you meet with every single week to read scripture, to pray, and to hold you accountable for how you live your life. You want to grow in your relationship with God. There it is. That's how you prioritize your life around growing as a disciple. The second reason that this matters is this. I want you to remember you're not alone. Some people are going to accept the gospel and some are going to reject it. And that's out of your control. All we can do is share the gospel. We lead the horse to water, but we can't make it drink. But we can lead that horse to water. We can share the gospel with them. So I want to ask you two questions as we close. Are you walking with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him in which you have no longer trusted yourself, but you're trusting entirely what Jesus did to save you? If not, I'm going to invite you to accept that relationship today. It was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You can admit that you're a sinner, confess that he died in your place, and you can be saved here this morning. The second question I want to ask is this. Church, do we love God and love others enough to share the gospel with them? Will we love people more than we like being liked to share the truth with them? If we're struggling to share, we need to confess that to God today. We need to ask for his help today. So I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me as we're going to pray. Father God, in the quietness of this moment, as this service is ending, we're coming to the most important time. It's important to sing. It's important to study your word. But your word said, let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, Father, the most important thing that we can do today is respond to the gospel. Not only for salvation, But Lord, even to confess how we have come short of making disciples and to seek your help and your grace in time of need. So Lord God, we give this time to you. We ask that you would draw every heart to yourself. Lord God, everybody here was created in your image. And yes, we sinned. And yes, we fall short of that glory every single day. But that's why Jesus came to die on that cross. That we might be forgiven and saved. And so that we could go out and we could testify to who you are and what you've done. Let us respond in worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this morning, Come Ye Sinners. It's a hymn right out of your hymn book.